Happy Tuesday to you all. Kevin McDonald, executive producer of New Mexico and Focus here. A big day here at the show, here at the station, New Mexico PBS, and for the state of New Mexico. It was the kickoff of the 2020 legislative session, which starts, as always, with the State of the State speech by Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. We were proud to bring it to you over the air, but I know it was in the middle of the workday. Not so convenient to listen. We want to make sure you get the chance. So here on this podcast, we've got the full speech for you to listen to. And coming up a little later, we've got some analysis from former lawmakers that we invited into the studio. But without any further ado, let's send you to Santa Fe in the Roundhouse for the 2020 State of the State speech given today by Michelle Lujan Grisham. Please take your seats. Thank you. <clears throat> I like being this tall, make no mistake, I'm just going to relish the moment. Thank you, Mr. Lieutenant Governor, Mr. Speaker, Madam Pro Tem, Honorable Legislators, Distinguished Guests, the First Manny behind me. <laughs> My daughter, Erin, my granddaughter, Avery, Avery's other grandmother, but I am the favorite, Sandy Rieger, my sister-in-law, the Honorable Sandra Grisham, my brother, Gregory Lujan, everybody who right this minute isn't watching the impeachment trial on C-SPAN, my fellow New Mexicans. This past year, I heard from many members of our extended New Mexico family. Students wrote letters, parents came to my office, I met with advocates and entrepreneurs as we traveled across the state from Carlsbad and Silver City to the Navajo Nation, Mr. President, and beyond. New faces and old friends, police officers, veterans, educators, and business owners. Over and over, I heard two things. One, do you really drink that much coffee? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> but also, yes. Second, time and again, New Mexicans told me, keep going. The state of our state is dynamic, ready for more on the cusp of steady and sustainable progress. We are stronger today than we were one year ago, no question. thousand new jobs in New Mexico since the day I took office, the best year for job growth in the state since 2005. <laughs> Our economy is booming, in fact, in every direction. Long-time New Mexico businesses are boosting their investments in our state. It, I like you, Senator. You just... He gets that same seat next year. <laughs> Exciting new companies are putting down roots here for the first time, choosing to be in the land of enchantment. We are top 10 nationally for inbound moves, a complete reversal from only a few years ago when families were leaving our state. And one third of the people moving to New Mexico are coming here for jobs. 
Since the day I took office, we are eighth nationally for job growth. Now, I like the sound of top 10, and I bet you do too, but I like the sound of this even better. Our private sector job growth is beating Nevada, California, and Colorado. Right? I mean, we knew we were in a no contest situation with Colorado about green chili. But now, we are squarely beating them where it really matters in all of our economic sectors. And as I said a hundred times this year, in every community I visited across our great state, New Mexico, in fact, is the place to be. And if you're not here, you better get here fast. At the close of year one, and at the outset of year two, state government, in addition, is stronger, and we are gathering strength. Our December statewide rapid hire events drew 3,700 job seekers. That's 3,700 New Mexicans eager to work, eager to serve their communities and neighbors right now. Together, we delivered meaningful raises for New Mexico educators passionate about their students. I agree. Thank you, educators. We <laughs> okay, you can sit right there again, too. We should be celebrating, and I hope this speech, even though I'm off script, feels like that celebration. Because we also launched pivotal transformations in environmental leadership and long overdue infrastructure. Our Children, Youth, and Families Department this year cut the average wait time on its child abuse hotline from an unconscionable hour plus to less than five minutes. Our Human Services Department settled with each of the behavioral health providers ejected from the state by the Martinez administration. A monumental step towards the robust and rebuilt behavioral health system now New Mexico urgently needs. Right, thank you. <laughs> Our Workforce Solutions Department has gone after wage theft, standing up for workers against bad actors who are violating the law and taking advantage of them. Our Corrections Department successfully took over management of the private prison in Clayton, overseeing a safe, and seamless transition into better administration. We settled the Jackson and Duran litigations, ending cases that have lasted decades and cost the state tens of millions of dollars, year one. We took the initiative on building up state's reserves for a future rainy day. We made sure we have an equitable framework for reforming our state pension system in a way that protects New Mexico taxpayers and respects retirees, both current and future. We boosted common sense oversight of polluters, and we put New Mexico on a direct path to being the nation's 
clean energy leader, ensuring our land, air, and water, our inheritance. As residents of the state, incredible state, are passed on to future generations. industry and environmental leaders together, and we are moving forward on creating nation-leading rules that will curb methane pollution, create jobs, and deliver more dollars into New Mexico classrooms. We took on the Trump administration when they abandoned border communities, when they tried to gain access to our workforce data so they could deport working parents and tear families apart. And with your help, we will keep up those efforts, up those good fights, and we will keep investing for a bright tomorrow while delivering solutions to the urgent needs of today. We are fixing what was left broken and addressing needs and turning the corner into a bright future of our incredible state all at once. So year one, I'd call it a very, very good start. Thank you, honorable legislators, even Representative Debbie Armstrong, for all of your support, I don't even know where she is, and over there, and leadership in helping us capitalize on the incredible opportunity of this moment. But as you all know, we have a lot of work yet to do. For one thing, we still haven't shortened all of these darn podiums. They're still way too tall. <laughs> I gave that order and nothing's happened. That was the first thing I said we had to do. But in all seriousness, I do want us to reflect on how much, in fact, we have together accomplished so very much in just one year. And yet the economic growth we've seen, which is incredible, has not yet touched families in every part of the state. We have not completed the diversification and expansion efforts we must undertake to ensure New Mexico's prosperity is durable and meaningful. The educational transformation that's begun to take shape is still in the first few innings. So no, I did not hear New Mexicans telling me, great job, we're done. I heard them say, great, keep going, keep going going, and we are, because we're building something substantial and sweeping and powerful for the generations to come and for New Mexicans right now. We are investing tomorrow and delivering today. We must continue to do both of those things aggressively, strategically, with fiscal responsibility top of mind. In equal measure, I'm proud of the distance we have covered and I'm eager for the chance to do more right now and perfectly aware of the climb we still have to make. And as we open this 30-day session, I challenge you to think beyond the 30 days. 
Think beyond even this year. You know, we stand together in the sunrise of a brand new decade. What we do here in this session, in this coming year, will set the course for what comes over the horizon in 2030 and beyond. The progress begins right here in this room and on the other side of the building, the accomplishments of lawmakers present and past, including those beloved friends and colleagues we lost this year. Representative Bill Pratt, Senator Carlos Cisneros, Senator John Pinto. It's incredibly important to reflect on their many contributions to our state and what each of them in their own way delivered for their constituents and all of New Mexico. And if we can, I think we should take a quiet moment to remember our colleagues and their incredible accomplishments for this state. Thank you, and I thank them and their families for giving them to us for so long. Over the, thank <laughs> Over this next year and in this coming decade, how we will work together to make New Mexico the state of success is the question. The power to answer the call forcefully is in our hands, in our willingness and capacity to be relentless and bold right now. We begin where we must, education. It would be inaccurate to say we chose education as our top priority. Transforming our public education ecosystem is no less than a moral mandate, an imperative that found us this group of legislative leaders who were obligated, and I firmly believe this group, destined to deliver the single best cradle to career educational system in the country. You know it's going to be a short speech because I've got the monitor right behind me. <laughs> and I insist, alongside every devoted parent and grandparent and dedicated advocate in the state, that we've got to get it right, right now. And at the same time, I recognize that what we are building requires long-term vision. We all must recognize that a genuine transformation, a moonshot, it doesn't occur overnight. But our goal is and will continue to be meaningful, positive outcomes for students and teachers, all while the permanent turnaround rounds itself into shape. So we must continue to build. We've got to invest and deliver. We've got to pay educators more, and we've got to hire more educators. Ladies and gentlemen, we are on our way. 
In year one, we cut the statewide teacher vacancy rate by 13%. Proof positive that the message has been received. After eight years of neglect and disrespect, New Mexico values and supports its world-class educators once again. And we will keep going in a way that's sustainable and real. We will together deliver another raise for educators and school personnel this year. The most significant back-to-back -back raises educators have received in almost 15 years. our first two years, we get to hear it again, we will have provided a 10% across the board raise for our educators, as compared to only 6% total over the eight years before that. Once again, education was not a priority then. It is now, and we will keep going. We will stay the course with new programs that require a sustained focus, like extended learning time and K-5+. Now let's think about what those programs represent. It's this simple. It's more meaningful time in the classroom. And it's more meaningful time in the classroom for our at-risk students. More time for them to learn, create, and build relationships. And we know there's a direct line between that and higher achievement. With the public education department working alongside districts around the state, we estimate next year more than half of New Mexico's K through 12 student body taking part in extended learning programs. We estimate, in fact, almost 5,000 teachers participating in K-5+. Teachers in the top tier in that effort taking home almost $70,000 a year. And we will, this year, expand our access of emphasis to include early childhood education and care, comprehensively changing the trajectory for the youngest kids in this state forever. Childcare, pre-K, home visiting, family nutrition, early intervention services, and more. We will connect New Mexico parents with the high quality services they need to help them both cut costs in their home budgets and provide the best possible head start for their children. With your support last year, we launched the Early Childhood Education and Care Department. Quite frankly, a monument to our belief in what our kids and families can achieve. Now, with this new department together, we opened the door to a new day for early childhood outcomes in New Mexico. Now we gotta walk through that door and we have to invest in learning opportunities and care networks that will make a difference for New Mexico children and their families. We all want better outcomes for our kids and families, but it seems that we sometimes hesitate when it really comes time to really provide for their future. 
We have this incredible opportunity this year to do exactly that, to take a bold step forward. And with the Early Childhood Trust Fund, we can establish a positive, dynamic, and self-fulfilling cycle of improved outcomes for our children and families. You can clap. Okay. in early childhood investment right now, this year, will sustain generations to come. We have committed to transforming the lives and opportunities of New Mexico children and families. We believe in the unequivocal data that show the pathways begin at the earliest age, and we accept that every unacceptable statistic about New Mexico's education system stems from a lack of comprehensive opportunity for our earliest learners. So this is the moment to step up. This is our moment to stand and be counted as the single most comprehensive effort to transform early childhood outcomes of any state in the country. And as long as we're talking about leading the nation, New Mexico was the first to guarantee higher education for all. The first. We were the first state to provide college tuition for residents. The lottery scholarship was ahead of its time. Now, we have seen the state, quite frankly, fall behind. We have backslid into an environment where college-age students in New Mexico wonder not where they'll attend college, but whether they will at all. Where adults who want to go back to school face a financial roadblock to new skills and fulfilling new careers. And we know we're selling these New Mexicans short. Maybe not as short as me, but too short. You guys have been in here too long already, haven't you? But this is good stuff. The state is incredible and you're all here because you believe it and feel it just like I do. And we know if young adults don't find opportunity here, they will look elsewhere. But if we build it, they will stay. This year, we can round out our world-class cradle-to-career educational philosophy with a comprehensive embrace of universal higher education, the Opportunity Scholarship. Thank you. It is a prudent, sustainable investment in the bridge we must build between our classrooms and our workforce. We have the power to make tuition-free higher education a reality, benefiting an astounding 55,000 New Mexico students this fall. Students want it. Parents want it. Let's give them the opportunity, an opportunity that works for Esteban. Studying education at the Santa Fe Community College. I want Esteban to be a teacher right here in New Mexico. It's an opportunity that works for Ioana, a sophomore, nursing student at UNM, 
I want Iwana to be a nurse right here in this state, an opportunity that works for Michelle, a senior at New Mexico Tech, double majoring in electrical engineering and mathematics. I want Michelle to put those degrees to work and build her career right here in New Mexico. Have these students stand and let's give them a round of applause. students like Estevan and Juana and Michelle and the many, many talented young adults in the gallery right now and watching at home to find their passions right here, to build their careers right here in New Mexico. And I want them to know they can do it without debt hanging over them for years. We should all be doing everything we can to make student tuition debt a thing of the past. Otherwise, we're limiting what our young adults can do and who they can become. I would much rather invest in unlocking their unlimited potential. And I'm confident we will. And confidence breeds confidence. Every part of this touches every other. When we move aggressively to increase wages, to invest in our public education system, and to think outside of the box about what our state's economy and workforce can be, jobs and careers will follow. These students will stay and work here. We are transforming New Mexico into a place workers and growing businesses want to be, a place with stable, fulfilling employment, with opportunities to grow and raise a family. We are rapidly climbing out of the lost decade of job growth, the stagnation and forced austerity of the last administration. The minimum wage is on the way up for the first time in more than a decade, benefiting <laughs> benefiting 100,000 New Mexico workers. We set a record for film and television shoots, 94 productions, pumping nearly 600 million into our economy, with more productions in rural communities under our new rural production initiative. My economic development department is making record investments in homegrown businesses all across the state, creating more jobs and creating better paying jobs. And I really do mean all across the state. I'm talking about C4 Farms, a fourth generation ranch in Rio Riba County, where our state contribution will help them develop a processing plant and a butcher shop that will serve hunters who currently take their game to Colorado. Colorado's in bad shape now. <laughs> Everything's gonna be here. I'm talking about, I do love the governor, but you know what? It's about us and what we can do and deliver right now. I'm talking about 420 Valley. It's a manufacturing startup in Las Cruces. Now they extract CBD oil from hemp plants and will expand to almost 60 employees over the next three years. And I'm talking about Dwayne Kinsley. Oh, we got clapping for C4 Farms. The founder of Sports Systems, an Albuquerque outdoor equipment store. He's right over there. You can stand, Dwayne. 
and thank you for being here. Dwayne has launched Best Deal Retailer. It's a startup enterprise that has developed technology to help brick and mortar New Mexico retailers keep their local shoppers by beating giant online retailers. It's incredible. It gives me great pleasure to thank Dwayne for being here, for believing in and representing the power of local economic development, hiring New Mexicans, and helping New Mexico businesses compete. And as outlined in my budget proposal, we will build on the record local economic development and job training incentive funding, LIDA and JTIP, that we've been delivering throughout New Mexico in year one. And I want to thank you for your support for these essential programs. The local jobs we created last year paid 20% better than over the last eight years. 20% better than over the last eight years. <laughs> Manufacturing jobs, IT jobs, engineering and tourism, and outdoor recreation jobs. We're creating pathways into these careers. We're getting the Mexicans the skills they need to succeed. Because we all want an economy that is stronger than one industry, no matter how strong that industry is today. We've got to create more opportunity in rural communities, on main streets, through our state, and so we've got to consider every single good idea. A perfect example is cannabis. Now this is the fact. Recreational cannabis can be the next frontier of our economic expansion. We. We can get in on the ground floor, or we can try to play catch up. Now, I know which one I prefer. And frankly, I know which one New Mexicans prefer. 75% of New Mexico supports the legalization of adult use cannabis, including strong support in rural areas. For years now, the legislature has heard and productively debated recreational cannabis proposal. We've watched states come before us. We've watched them stumble, in fact, in some areas. And we've seen them thrive in so many others. And every year we've said, no, not yet. It's not for us. Well, it is, in fact, easier to get to know. It is much harder to just stand up and create something good and new. And I believe that we're ready for that. Thank you. Now, I think of these 30 days in this way. They are, they are in fact the final stages, not the starting point of a conversation about cannabis. My legalization working group, a team of experts and advocates and experienced stakeholders from every corner of the industry, law enforcement from rural and urban areas alike, 
and more built upon the conversations the legislature has had in past years. They visited communities all across the state last year. They solicited candid community input from parents and providers and coaches and police officers. They laid out a vision of a New Mexico where they use every tool in our economic tool belt strategically adopting best practices from the states that have come before us, creating a thriving and safe new industry, employing thousands of New Mexicans, and delivering hundreds of millions in revenue back to cities and counties and the state for public safety and health care. Three out of every four New Mexicans wants to realize the awesome economic potential of this industry. And I agree with the overwhelming majority of our state. I say we ought to give them the chance. It's high time we stopped holding ourselves and our economy back. No laughing, Representative. Let's get it done. This year, let's give New Mexicans yet another reason, yet another opportunity to stay here and work and build a fulfilling 21st century career. Progress is not preordained. We have to have the vision to identify productive next steps while keeping an eye on the longer path, the distances further ahead. This past year, we stood up to protect New Mexicans from pernicious federal efforts to dismantle healthcare services. With your support, we enacted safeguards against attempts to roll back the Affordable Care Act and strip New Mexicans of the health care lifelines they depend on. But unfortunately, that's not enough. We as a state have to keep fighting to ensure health care is as affordable and high quality and as accessible as it possibly can be. And this year, with your support, we can move aggressively to reduce health care costs, including drug costs for New Mexico families. With your support for Senate Bill 1, the state will pursue the importation of wholesale prescription drugs from Canada. Cutting costs. Thank you. Because quite frankly and quite simply, it will just cut costs for New Mexico families. And we will begin to cap co-pays and out-of-pocket costs for patients with chronic conditions like diabetes, asthma, and COPD. We cannot, this is worth clapping for. I'm gonna repeat that. Those life-saving drugs do no one any good if they are not affordable and out of reach of the very family members and loved ones that we stand up to support. We have the power to fix that in this state. And additionally, with your support, we can invest in the essential work of rebuilding a robust behavioral health network, providing a lifeline to New Mexico families that have been devastated by drugs, violence, poverty, and more. Those are investments in independence, in personal freedom, in people's capacity to help themselves. New Mexico seniors deserve that chance too. 
Every single senior wants to be independent and self-sufficient as long as possible. Right now, my mother, Sonia, is in a primary care clinic without my brother and me because we're here, and she's being treated for an infection that threatens hospitalization. Now, my mother is a, a strong, and this will be no surprise to you, stubborn woman. And she's going it alone so my brother and I can be here with you today. And I remember when my father was dying. And in spite of my mother's strong independence, she in fact relied heavily on my father. And after his death, my mother and I both knew, albeit a bit silently, that she really couldn't live alone anymore. And we began together a very painful effort of moving her into my home with me. And I remember crisply and clearly taking the last box of her personal belongings, picking that box up and loading that box into my car. And what I recognized in that moment is that what I had in that small box was the last vestige of my mother's independence and the only life she had ever really known. And I vowed then and I do again today to restore for seniors and disabled adults and their caregivers the respect, the services, and the dignity that they deserve. Saavedra Senior Dignity, Dignity Fund that I have proposed is, to is designed to do just that, to provide for the dignity and support seniors and caregivers need. Kiki Saavedra understood the necessity of getting that right. I can also, like it was yesterday, remember him telling me before every one of my appropriation requests for senior citizens would go before his committee so, Madam Chairwoman, be thankful. Michelle, if you really care about funding these services for seniors, do not, under any circumstances, bring a thousand senior citizens into this hearing room. <laughs> we, we don't have the time. I've got other committees. I repeat, do not do it. So I did it. And he would give me that look, like just a minute ago, you were Mahita, and now you are not, <laughs> all right? And he really was genuinely flustered about that. But you know what? He'd be there. He would stay until every single, and I mean every single person testified, and they were heard. He'd walk around the room. He'd ask who drove the furthest. He'd want to know who was in the oldest car vehicle. He would make the effort to give every single person in the room the time and care and attention that they deserved. The Kiki Saavedra Senior Dignity Fund is an investment in our capacity to provide that kind of respect. Kiki Saavedra understood that we are judged not by our personal success, 
quite frankly, in fact, what we do for others. And in this session, we can deliver for New Mexico seniors and disabled adults and their caregivers, caregivers this game-changing fund. We can make it a reality. We can do it. So I'm counting on you. But as we worked last year to improve health and welfare of New Mexicans, others were working to deprive them of both. And I'm talking about the criminal violence that is far too prevalent in our great state. Now, let's all agree that the days of hardened, violent, repeat offenders not doing any real time, getting unwarranted second and third and fourth chances because our system is too broken to hold people accountable, that those days must unequivocally end and they must end now. We have to draw a line. New Mexicans are sick and tired of seeing predators circle in and out of custody, never facing the full force of law. I am too. Here's the fact. Dangerous, repeat offenders have got to be in jail. If you are terrorizing our communities again and again, we have nothing to talk about. You must be stopped and held accountable. And we have a chance in this session to come together as a state and put together the best practices so that we're both smart and tough on crime. We can do both. Everybody, every policymaker, every level of government has to be on board. This year we launched as a state the Fugitive Apprehension Unit. We sent state police officers to help support local police efforts in Albuquerque, in Valencia County, in Alamogordo, and down on the border. And under my budget proposal, we will fund 60 new state police officers and better pay for new recruits. We'll give them the time and support they need to make meaningful connections with the communities that they serve all across New Mexico and to keep them safe. And I'm also proposing stiffer penalties for gun, and drug and human trafficking to keep the purveyors of those particular kinds of evil off our streets longer. One of my staff members had to leave work early one day this fall to pick up her daughter, who was deeply shaken after her school was placed on lockdown following a threat of mass violence. Think of all our children, our friends and neighbors, whose lives and livelihoods have been disrupted by lockdowns or evacuations. That's criminal, and this session we're going after people who terrorize New Mexicans with threats of mass violence. 
If we are clear about keeping New Mexico families safe, then in fact we have to commit to accepting responsibility and giving law enforcement the tools they need to give New Mexicans the peace of mind they deserve. We have to create public safety consciously and proactively and persistently every day. Together, beginning this session, we will win this fight and justice will and can be done in New Mexico. Thank you. In these next 30 days, I will be who you know me to be, Senator. Relentless, competitive, and highly caffeinated. <laughs> I am who I am. I will be tireless on behalf of the New Mexicans who have not yet felt the effect of our changing fortunes, our push towards steady and sustainable progress. New Mexicans, like Tiffany Collins, a single mother in grants. Her daughter turns 12 next month. Tiffany works two jobs to provide for her daughter. And frankly, it's just barely enough. She feels the strain every single day, working extra time, relying on family to help care for her daughter. Tiffany went to UNM to obtain her bachelor's and dropped out after a few semesters because she couldn't afford tuition. What she wants is the opportunity to get ahead where she lives, in grants. A chance to thrive and make a better life right there. A chance to get her daughter into high quality after school programming and get gainful, fulfilling employment so she doesn't have to worry about the next bill and the next bill after that and the unexpected bill and then maybe a medical expense that puts everything over the edge. Now Tiffany made the sacrifice to take time out of her schedule to be here today. And I want to recognize her as the kind of New Mexican who is doing absolutely everything right. Working hard, being a good mom, getting into a program where she's learning coding skills, trying to get. She's working on the kind of education and training that would help her provide for her family. And we've got to make sure that Tiffany's efforts are supported by our own efforts. We've got to make school more affordable. We've got to provide jobs right where she is, not 100 miles away or a couple of states away. We've got to invest in our educators and improve our schools so she can sleep at night knowing her daughter has the best possible chance to succeed. Tiffany's here today because she believes in us, all of us, and also to tell us to keep going because we have to do better, all of us, so New Mexicans like Tiffany are never left behind. And I urge you to join me in sustaining the investments we've made in the future that New Mexico families, students, and workers deserve. I invite you to join me in bringing into reality the bright vision of the best possible New Mexico of 2020, 2030, 2040, a future where our youngest get the best possible head start, 
where students and educators have every reason to stay here and build their lives, where small businesses can thrive with a strong and dynamic workforce at the ready, where our economy includes everyone and every good idea, where New Mexicans live and thrive in safety. Together, we will keep investing for tomorrow and delivering today. We will keep going forward every day together. So, thank you. And now, let's get to work, shall we? Right. As we mentioned, there was a lot going on at the Roundhouse today. Things didn't go super quickly at the start of the session. It wasn't until about 1.30, 1.40 before the governor took to the podium to give her speech. Once the speech was done, we uh, were able to, on the web to bring in some former lawmakers to break down the speech and offer some insight and analysis on what the governor had to say today. We had in studio former Senator Eric Riego, as well as former Senator Dee Dee Feldman and former representatives Dan Foley and Justine Fox Young. And we want to give you some of that here as well. Lots of great information and backstory and insight that they offer here. Also want to let you know if you head to our website, NewMexicoInFocus.org, we uh, started something a couple years ago we're really proud of, which is an annotated version of the print version of the governor's State of the State speech. So there's a lot more context in there comments, insights from reporters who cover the legislature from all over the state. It's part of our Your New Mexico Government project this year. We encourage you to go and check out all the great information that those working journalists had to share. Right now, let's get you to that analysis from former lawmakers and host Gene Grant. That was Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham's 2020 State of the State Address. I'm Gene Grant, host of New Mexico in Focus. Welcome to everyone tuned in. Thanks for staying with us for this web extra coverage of the speech and the start of this year's 30-day session. A program reminder, if you're interested in the impeachment proceedings, that you can watch that right now on Channel 5.1 or a live stream is also available on NewMexicoPBS.org. Right now, I'm joined in studio by Dee Dee Feldman, former state senator, Daniel Foley, former New Mexico House Minority Whip, Eric Regos here, he's also a former senator, and Justine Fox Young, former representative, thank you all for coming in. Top line question for all you guys. Uh, I'll start with Dan to my right, uh, and we'll get to some details here in a quick second, but she's got an, ag an aggressive agenda. We didn't hear a lot of it fully fleshed out, but was it convincing? Was this something that you heard that gives the legislature something to, to hitch onto and march forward with? So, I mean, no, to the extent that I, I, I actually was pleasantly surprised that we didn't start getting into the minutiae. Mm -hmm. I mean, the governors in the past, we get these speeches where they're like, well, we're going to do this for taxes. And they list the 37 bills they want introduced. Right. Um, I thought she tried to go with the 30,000 foot approach, you know, talk more about joining hands, working together, mm -hmm. successes of New Mexico. Um, I think it still may have been a little too in the weeds for the average average New Mexican, but it's clear when you listen to this and look at the bills mm -hmm. that they've introduced that, you know, this this is mirroring, they're, this, they, this speech is mirroring their budget and what it is they're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Whether you agree with it or disagree with it is a different conversation, mm -hmm. but you know, she's, she's going forward with what she said she was gonna do. Mm -hmm. Senator Feldman, a continuation of the year one 
progress. She spoke about a lot. She talked about what had happened and got a lot of standing ovations for that. Do you hear something that will push this legislature onward for this second term? Yeah, I mean, I think that she was talking about sustaining the progress. That was her theme, sustaining the progress mm -hmm. that had been made in year one, investing, especially investing in early childhood education, in education in general with a higher college uh, tuition right. uh, scholarship. And, um, you know, I think that, and she had various examples. She didn't go completely into the weeds, mm -hmm. but she certainly, um, she certainly addressed how the state was digging out mm -hmm. from uh, a lost decade uh, in terms of behavioral health, in terms of uh, education, uh, and in uh, terms of economic development. So I think that that was the 30,000 foot approach and uh, she delivered that pretty well. Mm -hmm. Justine Fox-Young, thanks for being here, appreciate this. I want to ask you a question. She mentioned early on she wanted to be delivering today and must continue to do both aggressively, strategically, and here's the quote, with fiscal responsibility top of mind. <laughs> do you hear that fiscal responsibility top of mind in these proposals? Well, I think in a way, it was somewhat clever because it really was a lot of buzzwords. You know, we have, uh, let's talk at a 50,000 foot view, you know, two new trust funds, free college for everybody, mm -hmm. um, a new department, and no, no numbers to go with it without getting into the weeds. I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, mm -hmm. and, and she was able to be nonspecific enough that nobody can say, well, you, you can't carry that out, and, and she can claim credit for it. You mm -hmm. know, a trust fund for seniors. Everyone's for seniors. Mm -hmm. A trust fund for um, preschool kids. Every, everyone's for kids. So I think that's irresponsible because I don't think you can run out there with initiatives that actually don't mirror a budget mm -hmm. that, that the state can, can live with mm -hmm. and, and that can pass. But mm -hmm. I guess we'll see mm -hmm. um, how she carries it through the session. Absolutely. Senator Gray, oh, good you, having you here as well. Thanks. The momentum from the first year, how much of that did you hear? Meaning, it seems like she's has some hand here, the old Seinfeld uh, joke. She has some hand here. She proved a point in some areas year one. Is it enough to carry through this aggressiveness for, for year two? I think that um, definitely, um, I think she had some pretty strong um, points on, you know, how the economy and jobs have sort of turned around. Mm -hmm. um, uh, she didn't elaborate that a lot of that is oil and gas production, right? right? I mean, a lot of these jobs coming in are, frankly, in the oil and gas sector. And I think that that's the, you know, we've called it the Sophie's, Sophie's Choice, Faustian Choice, whatever, you know, this decision we've made to perpetuate, um, I think, a pretty deep dependence on oil and gas in the state. And um, that, get, that means that she and the legislature have a lot of new money to work with to do things that we've been wanting to do for generations now. But the, the fundamental, uh, you know, Choice is still there. Our, mm -hmm. You know, um, we, we're we're taking all this new money. Um, you know, we're, we're, and now we're going to have we're going to see a debate over the next thirty days. This is a tax and budget session about oh, what's the best way to to use that money. And as Justine said, you know, some of that's creating these trust funds, which really are sort of like spending the money, but really kind of setting it aside. So the one of the big uh, to Didi's point, uh, one of the big course corrections I think was this, the, the the governor had previously supported the constitutional amendment to take 1% out of the, the you know, almost $20 billion permanent fund right. and put that into early childhood for a real investment in early childhood. Mm -hmm. um, and I think she, ha she hasn't talked about that. I think she may not even be supporting that anymore. And now this new idea of taking $320 million and putting it, sort of setting aside, mm -hmm. which is really not spending it, and then drawing some of that money down, uh, you know, not insignificant, but certainly not adequate amount of money we talked about before. Mm -hmm. 
uh, into early childhood. I think that's a big uh, change in direction from what she had been saying last session. And I think that's a political reality for her, uh, working with a very conservative Senate finance chairman, uh, John Arthur Smith, sure. whose support she needs right. for all these other initiatives. And he sort of looked the other way on some of the big spending that, that she's proposed, which a lot of folks, uh, including myself, support in terms of investing in education and others. But I think there is a, there's a little bit of a compromise she has made on early childhood, mm -hmm. uh, despite all those sort of really um, talk of really making major investments in it, really the truth is like we continue to underfund early childhood. And the other thing I'll say, Gene, is mm -hmm. there was no talk in this speech about, about tax reform or any of the tax proposals, which was surprising given this is a tax and budget session. And that's a, that's a totally germane to the session. And it's really what we need to get to is how are we going to diversify these revenues so that, we, so that we move away from dependence on oil and gas right. revenues. Good points there. Senator Feldman, let me continue with education. That was her first main priority after talking about what we'd had accomplished. That's right. Now she's saying the moonshot continues, maybe second stage, just to continue the joke. But what did you hear? I didn't hear anything about teacher raises. That was well, there was a lot, but they. Well, remember last time, last mm -hmm. session, uh, we we increased education funding, which is half of our budget, right. by I think five hundred million dollars. Right. And this, and it mostly went for teacher salary increases, some after school programs. Uh, this year, there's still a request for two hundred. A million dollars. That's not chump change. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, in addition, there are these other uh, other uh, bookends of public education, which is the early childhood trust fund, right. which I agree is a very smart move on the part of the governor, um, and also the um, the uh, scholar the uh, tuition free college. Right. Uh, for all students uh, who want to go to both trade schools, state schools, mm -hmm. uh, universities, uh, junior colleges in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. uh, those are the two new things in terms of education. I think they're both kind of halfway steps. Um, I think that um, having the early childhood uh, trust fund gives folks an out from uh, the nine years that the uh, advocates have tried to tap into the permanent fund mm -hmm. without success. Mm -hmm. So this is a halfway measure, but it's a halfway measure that looks like it's going to, uh, going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and it may not be enough uh, to really address the what, 122,000 um, kids under five that need real help, right. um, but uh, it's a start. Uh, it's better start than we have today. Mm -hmm. So it's another thing about like the perfect and the good. Right. Do you want the perfect, the use of the permanent fund, or do you want the good, sure. a halfway measure, the the uh, early childhood trust fund? I, I don't want to. I don't want to lose a point I just, on on the early childhood. So I want to be clear. I I, I didn't. Th I don't think it's a good idea. I think it's um, both the department creating the department and creating a fund that is really going to really capitalize very little investment in early childhood. I, I, want to th I, I want to say that that's a departure for the governor. There's a lot of folks who really were hoping that she would and had previously supported the constitutional amendment, which is a real investment. That's $200 million. As Dee said, there's 120,000 plus kids under, under five in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And to really mm -hmm. invest anywhere near what they need, like 25 million isn't going to do it. I know it's hard for people to deal with these numbers because there's a lot of numbers, but you need a significant investment. We, we put 500 million into K-12. That's the kind of investment we need to make in, in little kids. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that this is very much both the department and the trust fund 
if they're not fully funded, and, and early childhood is not fully funded, I do think they're going to be seen as, as distractions, as diversions, and even undermining this idea to fully fund early childhood. So I do think it was a political compromise. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's, I personally don't think it's going to get to where we need to be for kids. Mm -hmm. It might be politically expedient. It might have got John Arthur Smith on board, who's right. really been the obstacle. But I actually think it's not good policy for the, for the 120,000 kids. Uh, Dan, Eric just uh, anticipated a question I wanted to ask you about that. Was it more, is it more, just like he said, he's the governor calling her shot to have something palatable versus what she really wants to get at and what's best for kids out there. And then your opinion, of course, I'm interested in on, on the amount of money that we're talking about here. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, as you and I joke all the time, Gene, I mean, we could have a gazillion dollars and that's still not enough. I mean, you you guys want to, you want to fund everything and we talk about it at the table. Mm -hmm. um, I think the governor is running into the buzzsaw of reality, mm -hmm. right? Yes, we want to do this, 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 and well, there's only so much money we can do. Then, most importantly, you got to figure out how do you get the votes, mm -hmm. right? I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how great the plan is, if you can't get the number of people to pass it, clearly they got the votes in the House right. to, to do anything I would think as far left as they want to do, progressively as they want to do, mm -hmm. it's going to get through the House. The Senate is where it stops. Mm -hmm. And so they've got to come in and have some compromising. And I think looking at these funds and talking about saying, look, we want to pass a constitutional amendment that's going to give unbridled access. Because look, one of my complaints has always been, we did a constitutional, we did a raid on the permanent fund with the constitutional amendment under Governor Richardson. I think it was 1% or something we took to bolster education. And I said, from the day we started talking about it, it, you know, I know I was like Nostradamus, it came to fruition. Whatever we took out of the permanent fund, we just lowered what we put in education from the discretionary dollars. So we really didn't do anything to help education. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to start putting these things out there, rating permanent funds, doing things like that, I think you got to have some tie-ins to say, listen, you can't stop the funding you're having now. The governor, I think most importantly, wants to get something done. Look, we're, we're an instant gratification society. No longer do we look at things for eight years to get things done. People are going to look back 90 days from now and say, what have you done? And if she can say, look, I was able to get $300 million, put it in aside in an early childhood development fund, the children's fund, and that's what we're going to call it, and boy, we're going to make great steps, I think check the box things are good. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's moving in the right direction. I think she's done, I was surprised at some of her movement on some things that, that I think were outside of character for her. Uh, I, I applaud her on the pension reform stuff. We've had this pension problem with Para for years now and sure. it's getting out of control and nobody has really spent any time looking at addressing it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she mentions it in her speech so at least it's being mentioned and there'll be some, some conversations about helping make that stable. Um, hiring some more state police officers that way Justine can stay in business. We've got some more police officers out there working and uh, we're going to pay them some pay raises. Um, so I think, you know, the one thing that seems to be prevalent in this, that there's no problem in New Mexico that more money can't fix in people's mind. Justine, the idea that, uh, you know, the governor really talked about a lot of educational opportunities out there for folks and I didn't hear much or anything about trades. I mean, we all want kids to go to college. My kids are in college. There's no disagreement about that. But did she meet New Mexicans halfway about where we are? You know what I mean by yeah, that? Yeah, I think you're mm -hmm. right. There are a couple big things that I saw missing from the speech, and one was mm -hmm. that whole discussion. You know, every kid is not going to go all the way through university, and every kid is not going to get a professional degree, and not mm -hmm. every kid should or wants to. Mm -hmm. So we didn't talk about that at all, and also about rural New Mexico, with mm -hmm. the exception of, you know, we have all this money that thank you so much for, for bringing out of the land in the form of oil and gas and, and mineral riches that we're going to spend, mainly in Albuquerque and Santa Fe. Thank you so much. Thank you for everybody coming from Texas to, you know, to, to do the work to, mm -hmm. 
to, to bring the money forward, um, there, there was not a lot of talk of rural New Mexico. And, and I think that, that um, approach of hers is really borne out in her polling numbers. I mean, you see her near 50% now. We talked about this this time last year when, when she was taking on the sheriffs and, and, and really kind of running, up, running at odds with um, a lot of people, a lot of conservative Democrats, a lot of veterans, a lot of people all over rural New Mexico, middle of the road folks who do not like her approach on um, gun reform. And, and she notably did not, I'm sure we'll talk about that. She didn't talk about that at all in her speech. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that was, that was notably absent. That goes right, right in line with the trades sure. conversation. You know, what can we do in different parts of the state to help kids mm -hmm. um, and to help grow these, these areas? So I think if you look back, you know, Richardson at this point um, was at about 60%. Susana Martinez was, I think, over 65%. And I, I don't think Governor Lujan Grisham is talking to the whole state. Mm. Um, her audience, she, she's, she's not bringing people along on these issues. It's a, it's a narrow audience that she's talking to. Uh, you just anticipated it the next bit, too. Let's talk about cannabis, certainly, and who's on board and who's not. Eric, I'll start with you. Um, was it a convincing case, thinking as an ex-legislator, if you were sitting in that audience and you were on the fence about cannabis legislation, were, would you have been moved one way or the other with how she ruled it out? I mean, she, uh, she took great pain, and I was looking at almost two or three paragraphs, a big chunk of the speech, to sort of try to make the case. You know, the polling is with us, and, you know, we need to really, you know, there's all these safeguards in place to try to sort of ameliorate all of the concerns of the people who, uh, you know, Mayor, Miyagashima and Las Cruces is openly against it. There's folks who have, I think, real concerns given our our addiction issues in the state. Mm -hmm. um, that is this the right, you know, is this the right thing? Um, she soft pedaled it a little bit. Yeah. She said, let's have a real conversation about it. Yeah, and so so I think I think the the tax case, right? So one of the one of the arguments is like we we can generate some revenue here, which again to my earlier point, like I do think we have to find ways other than oil and gas revenues to figure out how to fund government. So in that sense, it makes sense. So I would be convinced on that. I frankly am not sure I understand the, the, the science enough to know whether or not this is going to contribute to a state that has a pretty serious addiction issue. So, right. so um, I think there's pretty good evidence that, that with, with safeguards in place and so on that, that, that you can address that. But then I think there's the business case, right? There is the case of, uh, you know, um, that I think she went, she went to great pains to make. Like this is this new kind mm -hmm. of budding industry and we know if we don't do what Colorado and others have done we're not you know we don't get our act together we're gonna really lose an opportunity and everybody's doing it mm -hmm. um, so so why not jump in but I do think on uh, I think to Justine's point that there's a cultural issue here right there's folks who are conservative Democrats you know some folks a little more religious folks Catholic folks others who've really pushed back and said like do we really want to be sending this signal to kids and I think she's she did make a pretty strong case that we need to do this I come down on the side of mm -hmm. doing it right mm -hmm. so I I do think it's risky and it speaks to to Didi's earlier point about there's a reason why poll donors aren't if you're doing if you if you're playing it safe uh, you're gonna have high poll numbers if you take on some tough issues and I'll let Didi yeah. speak to this you That's know a point. Yeah. Three, yeah. she says three out of four support cannabis legalization it would seem an easy push at that point if the citizenry is that for it well, I think nope. she's, she's, she's walking a very narrow line. The public is clearly in favor of this. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of fine points here in how to do it. And she presented the economic development case right. uh, for cannabis. And she has spent the previous week before the economic forum on the interview that uh, she did here at PBS that this is going to create 11,000 jobs, the tax revenue mm -hmm. is going to be 9% for the state, and, and 
more for the counties. Uh, so she's, she's, she's laying the groundwork. But she has to remember that she's talking to the legislature now. She's talking to the conservatives in the Senate about passing this bill, which they have blocked in the past. This time, it's going to start in the Senate, mm -hmm. uh, not in the House. It passed the House last year, and that was historic. Mm -hmm. uh, given the uh, given the public opposition, but then the poll numbers keep coming in. They keep they keep increasing, and the other states around us keep uh, keep uh, reaping the benefit mm -hmm. of uh, of marijuana, and we are are basically stuck and just giving away that revenue to other states. Mm -hmm. So I thought she made. You know, she tried to walk that line, yeah. and I think that uh, she did the best she could. You know, I think I think the issue is is a unique issue. You you asked the question of did she make a convincing argument? Um, you know, I back when I was in the legislature, I was in favor of decriminalization. Um, you know, we got to stop. We got to figure out a way to stop putting nonviolent drug offenders in prison. I mean, it, until we acknowledge that our prisons are full of nonviolent drug offenders and we're letting violent drug offenders out, we're letting non, we're letting violent offenders out to make room for nonviolent drug offenders, which mm -hmm. leads to her other part about, uh, you know, keeping the bad guys in jail. You know, the reality is, thanks to mandatory sentencing, the bad guys are getting out, and the nonviolent drug guys are getting put in there. Mm -hmm. um, so. To me, that was a convincing argument and has been and still is because we seem to be incapable nationally of making decisions to, to change, you know, that, that, that type of law. Now, not to go off on a tangent, I will recognize that, you know, President Trump's, I think, has done a better job about talking about criminal justice reform. But I still think there's a real question in New Mexico, as there is. I, I hear vacillating arguments that the governor from Colorado who signed the bill, I've heard, has said if he knew now and he knew then, he probably wouldn't have signed the bill to legalize it. Um, I think there's a serious conversation about long-term effects. Right. Are we making money today and 25 years from now? What do we got? You know, I think that you're going to have to be very careful. Um, you know, I, think, I don't think we're the type of state that can handle you know, blanketly legalizing it recreationally and then finding out 10 years from now we got this problem because we're not going to be able to fix it. We've got to, you know, Eric makes a great point, you know, we lead the nation in DWIs. We've got unbelievable dependency problems in this state. This stuff all has to be taken into a comprehensive conversation. I hope that, um, and I, I, I would like to see them start the conversation during the 30-day session to, to do this. I would like to see them come up with some meaningful uh, uh, crime reform, you know, criminal justice reform, to say, before we start passing stuff to decriminalize it, let's talk right. about getting some of these people out of jail that are in jail for the Should wrong reasons. Should she have hitched some of the money potential to things like crime reform and things yeah, like that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think... It's sort think, of stood alone. Yeah, I mean, I think, cannabis. look, I will tell you this, you know, I think that... Uh, <clears throat> I, I always talk about, you know, one year when I was running for a re-election, I had a Republican opponent in primary, and mm -hmm. we were in Rio Oso, New Mexico, not a very liberal part of the state, and, you know, the average age at the time had to be 60-plus, cowboy hats and cowboy boots, and this guy's hammering me about, you know, decriminalizing and medicinal marijuana. And finally, I got furious, and I said, I voted for it, and I'll continue to vote for it. We get done, and this line forms of these cowboys coming to talk to me, and I'm like, oh, man, here it comes. They're going to rip me on this. Mm -hmm. and I got to tell you, these guys start walking up, and I'm talking salt-of-the-earth, Dub Williams-type cowboys. Take their hat off, Representative. My wife had breast cancer, and thank you for doing this. And I, that was one of the moments for me that I realized, you know, 
everybody likes to make fun of the decriminalization and the marijuana stuff, thinking it's all a bunch of, you know, Spicolis that are stoners. This is, has real medical That's implications right. to right. people past even it being prescribed to them. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to we have to have a serious conversation. Had she tied this, I think, to some criminal justice reform, mm -hmm. I think had she tied this to the, and she talks about them separately. She talks about making the bad guys stay in jail. And had she talked about saying, look, we want to put the bad guys in jail, First step is we're going to get the non-bad guys out of jail. The bad guys that are the non-bad guys that are in jail for things that Ooh. you know carrying around a little bit of weed. We're going to get them out of jail and start exploring this stuff. But I don't think she did a good job of tying those two things together. You know, Just but that's in the bill. That's actually in the bill that Javier Martinez has introduced. Uh, he has uh, addressed the nonviolent drug offenders who are currently in jail. And he has also targeted some of the revenue from this bill to communities that are hard hit by drug abuse. So, you know, I think though that's a, it is, and I totally agree with you, it's all, politics now is like all about framing. It's framing the issue. We were able to pass medical marijuana because it was framed as an issue of compassion, as you said, uh, rather than as criminal justice. So, you know, and now here is the governor framing it as an economic development issue. Mm -hmm. um, so whether that's the correct framing or not, uh, it's hard to know. That's a good point. Justine, let's go back to something you mentioned earlier. We got to get there. Red flag laws was not mentioned. Let's discuss this in the context of criminal justice reform. Sure. Why do you think that was not mentioned? Because it's going to be talked about, it's going to be debated, it's going to be, a, yeah. it's on her call, it's, you know. I think that was a mistake. And okay. let me just, building on something that Didi Please. said, um, you know, pol she says politics is about framing. Politics is now, always has been, and always will be about likability and credibility. And, and uh, you know, the way you deliver a message. but. I, I think the governor, if she wants to take on hard issues like legalization of cannabis, for one, um, she has to be able to engage with citizens in the state, with residents of the state, on a level that they can understand. And, and, and she, she can't feel so foreign and disconnected. And so these, these issues that come down to sort of a cultural fabric, the gun issues, are really important and she's got to be able to engage you know you can't take the all or nothing attitude right like you know we're doing this these sheriffs are against us well, we're going to get rid of those sheriffs mm -hmm. you right. know because the you know in, well, in chavis elected, county right in chavis <laughs> county i guarantee you the sheriff is liked better than the governor is in chavis county mm -hmm. and some of these smaller counties like that to your point yeah. i mean you got to go out and say let's let's have the conversation let's talk about why we want to do this let's right. let's make a same with the oil and gas stuff right we last year we heard her talk about the, and again this year we're talking about all this oil and gas thank you for all the money but then we start talking about we're going to close this down we're going to make it harder to frack we're going to stop drilling we're going to build one well the oil and gas guys don't hear the thank you right it's like they tell us in work when you say hey justine you're doing a great job but everything after the everything before the butt's forgotten about right mm -hmm. you can't mm -hmm. you can't do that and so to, I, I agree with justine mm -hmm. you gotta you gotta get some retail politics and some of these tough things and get out there and get people yeah. but that but i think i think Didi made a great point before we went on the air about about you know you, you the reason why you don't have 60 percent plus po uh, polling numbers or positive polling numbers approval ratings for a governor like this who because when you take on very tough issues which by the way Background checks, uh, red flag laws, all of these have pretty, uh, the majority of New Mexicans, especially given what's going on in the country, they support them. Now, right. there's going to be very conservative special interests. Frankly, none of those sheriffs are supported her anyway for governor. Like, uh, so why, you know, sort of, uh, you could say she could at least try to maybe offer a fig leaf. But at the end of the day, if you, a lot of people support this governor because they expected bold policy. And I think in the first year, she very much did that in, on a lot of fronts. 
Uh, I guess the big point that I that I was trying to make earlier was that I, I feel like she's kind of moving back more toward the center, not on the gun issue. I think it was bold for her to continue to say, look, you know, uh, if law enforcement, by the way, if law enforcement and family members think that this should be addressed, then I think we ought to be supporting them in terms of removing weapons from, from situations where there could be really, really tough circumstances. But the, the, on other issues, like early childhood, on some of these other spending issues, I, I actually think, you know, 25% in reserves, she's really kind of like, okay, I better sort of adjust course here and move slowly back toward the middle. I think that's where I feel like she's heading, mm -hmm. which, which, which might, it's also an election year, so right. uh, we, we haven't talked a lot about things that didn't make it onto the call, because there's some things she doesn't want to have state legislators talking about in an election I, year. I, but I disagree. I, I just, let me, let me I, ask uh, Senator Feldman a quick, quick question on this, though. Is, you know, every politician has, have, has to have room to grow a little bit. You're not the same person you are two years after the, when you first get into office. Do you right, sense you learn, some? You got to work with people to get things done. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, Do you sense on the law and order stuff uh, some growth? Not growth sounds diminishing, well, but you know some change in the governor on law enforcement things and law and order. I mean, the fugitive apprehension law. I mean, there's lots of things out there that may not. Well, have remember, been, we're two years in mm -hmm. to a four-year term, mm -hmm. so this is a moving picture. And when you, even when you look at the this. A state of the state address and this moment in time as a snapshot. Remember, there are the fiscal issues. There is the law enforcement issue. Mm -hmm. uh, there are there is the cannabis issue. There is the gun control issue. And you might be able to make progress on the gun control issue by giving a little bit on another issue. It's a composite picture and the, all the pieces are moving. And so maybe if you show you, maybe if you gain a few allies on the, on the criminal justice side uh, from the sheriffs, then maybe you're going to make a little progress over here. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's, uh, that's the art of politics. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you get better as you, as you grow art into it. Art of the it. deal, right? Is that art of the deal, maybe, <laughs> yeah. But I, but I think <laughs> what she may be realizing is if you look at the top line numbers, like Eric is saying, maybe, maybe 65, 70% in favor of the red flag legislation, the, the folks who are opposed to it, those are hard no's. And those are people who, if you go against them on the gun issue, they are not going to be with you on anything. Mm -hmm. And you, you have lost them. Mm -hmm. and, and I think what the governor may be realizing, and maybe why she isn't talking about this, and maybe why she's trying to re reformulate her message a little bit, is we have disproportionately very a Hispanic uh, veteran population here. We have mm -hmm. a lot of veterans. We have huge rural areas. We have a lot of gun owners. And so she's got to be really careful about how she calibrates that or the other stuff, she's going to lose right. on the other stuff. And right. so I think that was a calculated decision. Mm -hmm. And maybe she's not pulling back when you look at the legislation, but she's got to change the tenor of her conversation about but it. But I think, I think Eric makes, I think Justine made a great point mm -hmm. that I, and it, it kind of adds to my disagreement with Eric, which is shocking, is that, you know, <laughs> Susanna Martinez at this time, the economy was tanking. Mm -hmm. You know, she was out there talking about driver's licenses, for you know, taking back driver's license for illegal immigrants, talking about taking on the president of the United States and Barack Obama, who was out there advocating for the the you know the the, the uh, Real ID Act and all kinds of stuff was going on, and she didn't have the money, and she was still you know 65 percent. You got you got Governor Luan Grisham who's got all this money. There's no lack of being able to do new things. You know when you meet the governor and you get to know her, she's actually a, a nice person, good person, easy to get along with. Mm -hmm. And here she is at hovering below 40 to 50%. Um, you know, I think it's, I think a lot of it has to do, you know, I, I think 
the question is, what happened in the election that hasn't translated into the daily things? Well, the election is an easy question. Mm -hmm. It was her opponent. I mean, right, it was right. easy to have a high favorable sure. against, against her opponent. Now she's having to do the hard work, which is figure out a way, like Justine said, how do you balance getting cannabis? I think there's a reason to Justine's point why she talked a lot about rural New Mexico right. with cannabis, economic development, and didn't bring up red flag laws, because red flag laws are going to be overly opposed in all of rural New Mexico. But if you can start having the ability to negotiate, um, things are going to come out. Look, there's things, if you look at some of the pre-filed bills uh, this year that I think are pretty interesting that she didn't talk about and we're not talking about, they've got some uh, some bills to deal with electric cars and power transmission oh, yeah. stuff, you know, what you would consider kind of the green energy stuff. They, Republicans are sponsoring this year. Mm -hmm. you got Nev Nevelle out of there. you got Woods that are doing some of these things. I mean, these are, these are bills that five years ago Republicans were like, you've lost your mind. <laughs> and so she's brought some of those guys over mm -hmm. to carry some legislation uh, in plans that she's looking at which I think is is pretty interesting, but I think it just goes to Justine's point. You know, let's talk about this issue over here while we debate about this stuff I want to get done over here, right. and let's let's kind of get it figured out. Interesting. I want to go around the table, get some last thoughts from everybody, everyone. everyone. I'll start with you, Eric. In the context of where she was getting into office, what this first year has left off and where she wants to go with this next year, what's your summation of all that? Well, as I sort of alluded to earlier, I think um, many of us, myself included, were surprised at how bold she was in terms of, if you want to call it progressive or working family type legislation, really going after, you know, increasing the minimum wage, some pretty bold stuff on gun reform, a um, lot of willingness to spend and invest in key areas. And I think many of us were very, very pleasantly surprised at how much she was willing to take on those fights. I do think in the second year, for a couple of reasons, one is, you know, her, I think her political mentor very much has been Bill Richardson, who also did the same thing, you know, did some bold stuff to Didi's point and then sort of like, okay, I better start sort of having a little bit more of a balanced sort of there's something for, for the more moderate folks. But also, I don't want to lose the point, this is an election year. Right. And, um, and the other thing we haven't talked about is a lot of these conservative uh, state senators, Democrats are facing opposition and she has decided she's going to try to work with Senator Smith, who's who's been like uh, in the Democratic Party is the least is the least you know especially among progressive folks is the least liked senator. We feel like he's uh, very much the problem for not taking care of some of these structural problems we have. So I think the other thing that's happening in year two that might be different in year three is that uh, some of this has to be deferred. There's also some policies that I, I think might might sort of uh, uh, appease folks like Smith. I think in year three, looking forward, I think you're going to see, depending on what happens in this next election, mm -hmm. both for president but also for legislators, you're going to see, uh, I think she's going to have to determine, okay, do I have the path now and the support in the Senate in particular to move so much, to, to, move, to move back to that progressive sort of champion that I was, right. or am I going to have to do another course correction based on who's in the White House and also who's and that's, in the that's, legislature? And that's the key, right? The key is, the key is, you know, Eric can say, um, what the progressives don't like, John Arthur Smith. Look, I, I recruited an opponent once to run against him. Um, you're not beating John Arthur Smith. I don't care who runs against him. I know the progressives think they got someone up there. It's not going to happen. I mean, when it comes time to get the vote out, those rural communities, they're going to remember what he's done. They're going to, even people are going to start saying, well, you know, he deserves the right to retire when he's ready to retire. If they beat him, if he loses, and Mary Kay loses, and Joseph Cervantes loses, and you go through some of the, you know, fairly moderate, you know, what I would consider normal Democrats, um, <laughs> if, 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 if they start know. beating those guys, then I think you're going to see her take attack. I would suggest that, you know, the governor probably in 
in her guesstimation, looking at the future, looks like most of those guys are going to make it back. Mm -hmm. And so she's going to have to figure out a way. I think if she felt fairly confident that John Arthur Smith and those guys weren't coming back, right. you wouldn't see this move towards right. the center. But that's J Eric's job. Eric's job is to go out and find people to beat them. He's working diligently to do that. Mm -hmm. And the question is, can you get that to translate into actual outcomes at the polls? If they do, I think you're going to see New Mexico. Because I will tell you this, I don't think there's very much moderate or conservative about Governor Grisham, Lujan Grisham. I think she's pretty progressive. Mm -hmm. I think she's 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 out there pretty progressively. I think that she's a moderate because that's what she's got to do right now. But I think if if Eric and his folks could be successful mm -hmm. and get rid of those guys, I don't think she would hesitate. Bill Richardson, I think, would have hesitated. I don't mm -hmm. think Bill Richardson. I think Bill Richardson was more of a moderate guy. Mm -hmm. I think the minute that they defeat five or six senators, put in progressive Democrats, I think it's Katie bar the door. Senator Feldman, your thoughts on where the governor is now? God with the help state us of the all, state by the way. Versus last year's state of the state, and where's she casting forward a little bit? What do you see here? Well, I think she was, this was a year of consolidation. Okay. We forget about the tremendous gains that happened for Democrats and for New Mexico last year. Background checks, putting us on a path to a carbon neutral uh, economy by 2050, uh, obtaining some of the health care protections that are threatened now at the, at the national level if Obamacare is abolished. Um, I think all of those were really landmark achievements. And, um, you know, I think this is, she's trying to protect those and go further. But, you know, as to whether Michelle Lujan Grisham is a progressive or, or a moderate or whatever, moving in what direction, I've always viewed her as a mainstream Democrat, mm -hmm. as a um, sometimes a friend of oil and gas. I saw her as a lobbyist, as a department chair, right. working with oil and gas. Um, and I also saw her as a real progressive when it came to health care. And no one knew health care better, knows health care better than she does, I think. So um, I think she's moving, she's, she's protecting her gains and our gains and uh, continuing the forward motion with caution, mm -hmm. with caution. Um, and I think that's a, a good policy. Mm -hmm. Before you go to Justine, I just want to ask, it, it, do you think the game plan to win is written in these plans you got written on your notebook here. This thing looks like, you look like an army tactician with the way you took notes <laughs> over here. It's kind of, it's on this like engineering pad. It's kind of, I think you should show her, but she's sort of impressive. She's, she's, she's very I'm kind of nervous when I see it. it <laughs> <laughs> well, you should be. You Representative Fox Young, your thoughts on what you heard today? Well, I think the governor's very pragmatic. Yeah. She's grown up in government. Mm -hmm. She built her career in government. And I think she is, She knows all these relationships really mm -hmm. well. She knows the system really well. And now mm -hmm. it's time for her to figure out what will play to a larger audience and how to make big change mm -hmm. statewide, dealing with the business community, dealing with people who have different social and cultural views than maybe she does and mm -hmm. maybe her staff does. And so I think it's really a critical moment for her could be an inflection point for her administration. Mm. I want to thank you all for your time and your thoughts, always. Now, thank you for tuning in today to Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham's State of the State Address on New Mexico PBS. We did a live annotation this year of the governor's address. Head to our website, NewMexicoPBS.org, where journalists from around the state added annotated comments to the speech. This includes things like expanded information, links to relevant legislation or study reports, and even fact-checking. It's important. And tune into New Mexico in Focus Friday night at 7 on Channel 5.1.
for a, for a discussion about the first week of the session and other top stories in the news.